everybody. You're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by ironcompany.com. Today, we're discussing troubleshooting the deadlift and squat. We'll explore proper techniques and tactics to make maximum strength gains and reduce the chances of injury. And we'll also address uh, questions submitted by our listeners on social media. Uh, we had a bunch of those and um, makes for some good engagement. So anytime you guys have questions, you see, uh, see us post a podcast uh, link or something like that. If you have a question, shoot it out. Sometimes, you know, we can uh, intertwine that in with one of our upcoming podcasts or something, because a lot of people have a lot of questions and uh, these guys have the answers. So anyway, let's get into um, some, some talk about squats and deadlifts here. Um, I want to ask you guys, first of all, though, to kind of get into it. Um, what are some of the most common mistakes you see trainees making uh, while they're performing both of these lifts? I'll kick it off, Jimmy. Just things that really uh, stand I, I, out to you. Yeah, I think number one thing I see is, especially in a younger lifter, is going too heavy, too fast, and sacrificing their depth. You know, Bill Starr, and this is not politically correct, but Bill Starr said strength is like a, a greedy mistress. They always want more and more. You know, you always want more and more strength. And the, the thing is, is that if you cut that an inch high, now you've changed the whole dynamic of the movement, you know? Yeah, it's true. Cassidy used to tell us that, now this is for a, a big guy, an 800-pound squatter. Every inch of depth was worth 40 pounds. I totally agree. And, you know, you know I always say, you know, when you're in the bottom and your head, it, it feels like it's your ears and head and everything's going to explode and you're going to bleed from your ears. That's where you need to be every single time. When yeah, you're right cool. above parallel or even right at it, you don't have the same feeling. You drop it down those couple inches. Mm -hmm. and now we know we're in the bottom of the squad. Well, know? we had uh, Josh Bryan on last week and Josh's mentor was Fred Hatfield, who is a friend of mine. Uh, you know, not a close friend, but every time we'd, I'd, you know, we'd see him at the Nationals, we'd always get together, have lunch, have drinks. We'd like to have drinks, lots of drinks with Fred. Uh, but Fred used to say, hey, look, man, it's, it's, the, it's the whole world. You can go down to that point where you're two inches, three inches above parallel, and, and you can keep the hips locked. Right. To get to get below parallel biomechanically, you have to disengage the hips, yep. so you can get below. Then you have to re-engage the hips to come erect. And he said that's that's the whole universe, yeah. right? That because you can you can handle tremendous amounts of weight if you just go down to that power point, mm -hmm. right, and come erect. But uh, it's also is you know, we pointed out partial reps equate to partial results. Yes. And I would imagine somebody that uh, is a beginner that comes to you guys or that you say, especially you, Jim, because you were teaching at the college level. So you had a bunch of kids uh, going throughout the gym and uh, that, that you were trying to teach them the proper technique and all that. So you, you must see a lot of these kids that come in there, you know, they've got the egos and everything, especially maybe the football players, because it's all about being, massively strong yeah. uh, trying to just use way too much weight and yeah. you probably just got to get in there and strip off the weight for them and just break down their form and, and just correct everything. Right. Well, I, I start with the bar, man, you know, and I always give them yeah. the speech. Hey, listen, I know your high school coach was great. A lot of you guys going to performance places and all that. I'm sure everybody knows what they're doing, but yeah. 
let, we're going to do it this way for four years. So let's just get it the way I want it right now. And, uh, you know, I don't max freshmen in a squat for a long time, you know, because they'll come in. How much, how, what, what's coach, my best squat was 650. And then it's a half <laughs> right. squat. And then it's yeah. really three feet. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. No, no, but yeah, no, you no. just say, you just say, first of all, I mean, and I, I used to say this all the time. You're not going to impress me. One of my best friends squatted a thousand for two. If, you're not going to do that. So don't worry about impressing me. Let's yep. just get it right. You know, so I've seen the most impressive stuff ever. Whatever you're going to do is not going to, not going to make it. So let's just break it down. Well, and your job is to not only get them strong, but you got to look out for their, their safety. You got to, you got to really break down that form and build them back up sometimes, depending on how bad they are. And really, you know, because this is a long-term thing and you want them to be healthy throughout the season. You want them to be healthy throughout life in general. Uh, So certainly you, you got to really be careful with your form on the the deadlift and the squat. I mean, those are two things that can really screw you up bad. If if you're not taught the right form, if you're using too much. Is there there a question in here? Um, We were just looking for common mistakes that you guys see people using. uh, Let's ask, ask us something specific. What what do we want to know? Well, what's the aside from using too much weight, and that's what Jim was saying, yeah, uh, that he sees people doing and they're using crappy form. I mean, what else do you guys see? Well, everything, yeah, it's the setup, you know, and and just bringing back to Kirk, the thousand for two. I mean, when you talk to, I always tell that story. I interviewed a guy for an assistant job, and I said, Oh, teach me to squat, and he goes, What's the big deal? Just go down there and squat, you know, and I was like, Okay, you don't have the job because. Yeah, Kirk and I used to sit around and he would talk about putting your hands on the bar for a half hour. I mean, it's, it's so technical, the setup, all, everything has to be the same. If he he only, if he only talked about setting his hands for a half hour, he must've been rushed. Yeah. I mean, and and you, you leave those and you leave them going, okay, there's a lot more than what you think, you know, especially if you want to be great at it. You know, if you want to be really good at it. One of the greatest. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Let me get a word in here, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Uh, First off, you have to have archetypical techniques. If you have no benchmark, you have nothing to work against. Okay? So the very first thing is you have to establish that there's a benchmark technique. Now, I was very lucky. I was mentored by world, the first super heavyweight world champion, powerlifting world champion, huge Cassidy. Cassidy copped his archetypical technique from Paul Anderson. There's a famous shot of Paul Anderson squatting 766 in 1956. He's barefooted. No belt, no straps, no nothing. And he is so, I mean, he's just down as far as he can go. He's got a black suit on. He's got, uh, you know, his, his legs are naked. And you can see that he's like, Oh, I don't know, 10 inches below parallel? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Every inch of depth that he could manage, he took. Cassidy took that. He said, that's what we're going to do. He says, everybody else builds their squats from the top down. We're going to build ours from the bottom up. Right. It was genius. Can, it was can I ask you? Can, can I, I finish? ask you? Can I finish? Can I finish? Oh, okay. I thought you were done. Thank you. No, I'm not. Be, if you, be if, my if, guest. Thank you. Dramatic pause, Jake. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. So... <laughs> We had, from the time I was 16, I had a technical benchmark in the squat, in the bench press, in the deadlift, in the overhead press, in the, in the 
snatch in the clean and jerk. We had technical, these things were drilled into our head. And every session we had somebody looking at us going, no, that's not right. Right? You've got to tighten that up. You've got to change this. You've got to alter that. So for me, that comes very natural. Nowadays, no one does that unless you're lucky enough to be mentored by Jim Steele, who, by the way, ran the, the Penn University of Pennsylvania workshop. What were you there for, Jim? 20 years? Yeah, 20 years. Yeah. 20 years dealing with college athletes every damn day. Okay? You learn something from that cumulative experience. Mm-hmm. I came from the other direction. I was like the, I don't know, the strength monk. Uh, I, I didn't deal with a lot of people. It was all kind of, kind of individual basis. But everybody that I dealt with, every single top athlete that I dealt with, they had that benchmark technical, this is what we're striving for. Right. Right. And, and that's fundamental. And, and everyone can achieve that benchmark technique which is what, Jim? How do we how do we describe it? I would say maximum uh, range of motion, complete depth. Um, and, and you know, the the way that we teach it now is the way I like it best. We start off freehand. We go goblet. We yep. go front. Yep. And what it does is it it enables you to pick out little things about each person, right? Oh well, let's widen that stance up just a little bit. But it also gives we get them used to the feeling by that we do a slow grinding speed and we do a slow descent and we keep them down there in the bottom and we adjust their stance when they're down there and we want them to feel how that feels in the bottom just with that kettlebell on there and where to push push. we we have a motto for it embrace the hole yeah Yeah. by the way we have a really good uh, video of that (laughs) on uh, youtube if you want to see marty teaching the squat and and that's right. You guys, yeah. teach. I love how you do it with the, the, uh, the goblet squat and, yeah. and all that. And you do the, the different uh, variations, but you build up to yeah, the high bar or the, or the low bar. Or, or I remember we, if you, or as we say, you, you have to earn the right. <clears throat> to do yeah. But it's a great way to teach it because I'll tell you what, when you guys are doing the, uh, the goblet squat with the kettlebell, I mean, a lot of people have problems with sitting back. Right? Yeah. So the shins are, are straight up and down, but and that really helps you. And everybody is so weak when you make them go all the way down. Yeah, hey, we work with the we work with the best military guys in the world, and um, you know these are elite athletes. I think everybody can dunk a basketball, right? I think that's what I got to do to to even make it in into that level. But you know, you take those guys all the way down to that bottommost position with the vertical shins and the upright torso. And everybody's weak because no one's ever spent any time down there. Yeah. And you right. can tell. And Josh, yes. Josh was talking about that, you know, getting that correct neuromuscular pattern and sort of greasing it over and over again. And yes. so if everybody's been doing it right at parallel or right above, you got to set a new pattern. Well, well, it's arbitrary. If, if you're what we don't, we don't arbitrarily stop a bench press or a deadlift halfway. Right. We do that with a squat. And I, you know, it's like, why, why, well, you know, why, you know, why are we, and everybody said, well, it's a health issue and a, you know, blah, 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 you know, your knees, and I don't know, well, it's every excuse in the world. 
but all the guys that I know that use full range of motion, ass on heel squats, they have great knees. They have strong knees. They have powerful knees. I, I've never had a, a knee or a back issue in my life. And I attribute it to my learning good techniques for very, very long times. That was the key. You know, when you started yeah. that Olympic lifting stuff, it's all technical. Yep. So they transfer that right over yeah. to the squat when they're teaching it. So, yep, yep, yep. Yep. Well, so, so that so they add to that, ahead, add to that Marty, I just want to say, so, so the technical benchmarks you're speaking of, I mean, you're living proof of how well that works. I mean, you were a, a world-class athlete. You're, uh, you're now, you know, around 70 years old, uh, give or take a, a few years. No. And, uh, you know, you've got no back issues. <laughs> 70 no, years uh, yeah, never never had a back issue. No back never, issues. Never had a knee issue. Never had no a major knee injury. Issues. Never had a major injury. I so I mean, and and I'm I mean I don't know what you're training with nowadays, but I mean we've got a, a, a squat a video. Lot, a lot doing. less. A lot less. Yeah, but you're doing like 255. I posted a video of you squatting 255. I think it's for like 12 or 15 reps down to the floor. And you're, this was just a few years ago. But not many I guys set, that I, I set my my last national record was a two or four pound weight class, age sixty five, no suit wraps or belts, four fifty, right. parallel squat, <clears throat> five fifty dead. Yeah, I remember that. It was a forty. It was uh, this last year I quit. It was the first year I said I'm not doing this anymore. Every year from the time I was. 15 years old, I had squatted and deadlifted 400. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's like a 56-year run. Yeah. We're, now, my bell curve in the middle of that <laughs> was double that, right? But now I'm on the downside of the bell curve at the end of it. Now it's like, hang on. But this year, I said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you were, what, an 850 yeah, squatter? Eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. At my heaviest. Damn, yeah. man. Yeah. I was, and I, I mean, was, your body, was, your body weight was like, what, 250, 260? Yeah, 242, 250. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You talk about technique and every time you squat, you, you learn something, man. You learn something every time. I was sitting there the other day and I have a tendency to obsess over squats and deadlifts a little bit and technique. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, something just doesn't feel right. So I'm back squatting with the bar and all this and I've been doing a safety bar for a while, but something wasn't right because a safety bar is more like a front squat and your knees yes. come yes. forward. You're like, you're trying to sit back, but they shoot forward a little bit more. Right. And I was like, you're not sitting back far enough, Tom Dumb. So I just got, you know, 225 on there and I just started sitting back thinking vertical, vertical, change the whole movement. I was like, yep. there it is. Yep. And after 50,000 squats, I was still had to make <laughs> corrections. You know? And it was just, hard as, and you knew it was right because it was hard as hell. Yeah, and, and it's a different... <laughs> You know, when you felt that so many times correctly, you know when you do it again. Yes, that's right. Jim, uh, we've got a listener that, that asked about knee position. So he says, for those not comfortable with sitting back so that the knees do not surpass the toes, what are some helpful tips that we can use to, uh, to, to, uh, to better deal with that? Um, so what, what are some tips to where we can – because – I had this problem too. Sitting back, I just felt like I was always going to just fall on my butt. You know, fall Jim, backwards. Jim, Jim, can I tee off on this first? Of course. Part? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. The first, the answer is JP. Everything begins with stance weight. Mm -hmm. We have. I have never. 
been humans are proportionally different. Some people have long torsos, short legs, like myself, like Ed Cohn. Other people have long legs, short torsos, right? Some people have really long arms. Some people have very short arms. So regardless of the proportionality of the skeletal structure, I have never failed to be able to get someone into the proper archetypical technique, knees roughly over ankles, yeah, a little lean forward, not too much, never in front of the toes, okay? Uh, upright as possible, uh, maximum depth, great balance. It almost invariably is, is because the, the, the folks that have the, the problem with the knees traveling forward, they, they won't open their stance width up. Mm. Now, when they do open their stance width up, yes, they can sit all the way to the floor and they can stay upright. But you know what? They can't come up. They're so weak. Yeah. They're weak as a kitten. And most people are not willing to go back to zero and yeah. relearn. I mean, they say, no, man, I got a 455 squat. Mm, uh, yeah, you do, if it's a two-inch above parallel competition. <laughs> but... <laughs> Ass on heels, you can't stand up with 185. And it's so shocking to these guys that they're like, no, no, no. That there is a stance with, and it doesn't matter if you have long legs as long as LeBron James or you have nine inch inseam, I'm 5'10. My wife's 5'5. Five five. She has longer legs than me. You know. You know what I'm saying? I'm a short leg guy, but regardless of your structural, if you find that correct stance width, yeah. you can go all the way, ass on heels like a goblet. You put most people can do a, a good goblet squat because of the counterbalance. The weight's in front of you, right? So that helps keep you upright and it allows you to open to spread out. Right? You put a barbell on your back. And the first inclination is, is you want to cower and you want to crunch up and you want to fight this thing that's on top of you. That's right. not the way to start. Every instinct in your body when that barbell is on your back is do not let this thing go any lower. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, now, you that, have to earn that. But wait, let me just finish, JP, because I'm going to get to a, a crisp point here. Number one, we start with the no way and we allow people to use... Uh, a support or a pole. We don't care about the balance. It's the position. You want those vertical shins, want that uprightness, want that maximum depth. You're sitting ass on heels and you're okay with it. Now, when you come up, initially you can't, you have need help. Most people need help with no weight, right? They have to pull themselves up the pole to, to help because they have no strength down there. From that, we go to kettlebell, right? Once they get the kettlebell up to, let's say it's a big bell, you know, uh, 20 kg, 44 pounds, well, then you can go to front squat, right? And there you switch the tool, but you maintain the integrity and you maintain the archetypical technique. After you get the front squat technique locked in, then and only then do you go to high bar. And again, each, each step, we're replicating that technique that we learned way back with no weight, right? So we go, no weight, goblet, front squat, high bar. That's a big change, man. When you go from front squat to high bar, that's only like six to eight inches, but it's the universe. 
And if you can maintain that ass on heels, high bar, squat, style, my God, you're off to the races, man. You know, uh, Jim, take it away. I just yeah, wanted to get go from, from, you know, like you were saying, earning that low bar because yeah. when you put that bar lower on your back, I think that other stuff is hard, man. It's almost like a comfortable, th now we're really spreading the, the weight out on, you know, you're, now you got a little more low back, you got more glutes, you got more hamstrings when you get to that low bar. But we want to we want to show you the hardest way, and the, and the most you know the hardest way to stay upright, the hardest way to keep your chest up, the hard you know that whole thing until you get to the low bar. Yeah, uh, like a golf swing or a bat swing. I mean, you don't use crummy form, right? You know, they have they, like have they have batting coach. They have batting coaches. Yeah. Well, the right? stance thing is huge. And Marty, can't you see? And JP, when you see somebody in the gym and you're like, wow, they're they're their stance is too close. You got a six, four guy yep. got his inside his shoulders and he's having to lean so much to get the bar over the middle of his foot. But people don't know that. I always go in thinking, Oh, well, they understand that, that, you know, they've been doing this. No, they really don't. So, so a good coach, they have that eye where they can say, okay, let's widen it out a couple mm -hmm. inches. This set, keeping the weight light, you know, until we get to a position where you're as wide as you can be and still get that depth. JP. A lot of mistakes like that. JP, if you let people jump in on low bar or even high bar back squatting, the first thing they do is lean forward. And, right. and if, if you never, ever, ever in the squat want to let the bar get in front of the knees. Now, most people let the bar get in front of the knees, but the problem with that is, is it turns the spinal column into a crane because once the bar is in front of the knees, you got to put it back, right? And yeah. that means you got to stand up and that's, that is how you get the, the, the exploded discs and all the back problems. The way you guys teach the squat now, I, you know, if only I could have been taught this way, cause I think this is the greatest way ever to, to learn the proper squat technique. But I mean, there's not a lot of coaches doing it that way, right? You pretty much just jump in, you put a bar on your back and they start teaching you, you know, how to squat and they go, well, you're leaning too far forward, come back a little bit. Right. Or is everybody I doing think, it? I think our, we just are always, <clears throat> I'm always thinking when we're at those seminars or whoever I'm coaching is, I want this person to do this the rest of his life. And he, and if he <clears throat> learns it wrong now, now we're behind eight ball. Now we got to make, now we got to go back. So, so let's break it down to nothing. Let's break yeah. it down to comfortable. Let's break <clears throat> it down to a guy holding on to a hole. <laughs> yes. Demonstrating that, Hey, uh, okay, but yeah. first, then down, but first, yeah. then down. Yeah, uh, we have yeah. another. We have another little little motto: dare to be weak. That's right. Yeah, that ego in your pocket, man. Throw that ego but away. But you know what? I, now I didn't squat as heavy as you guys. I got into the sixes, and you know, for, I wasn't a power lifter. I didn't do any meets. I was more. I was kind of more of a power builder, I guess, but right. with more emphasis on the bodybuilding. I guess you know, I I, I was a pretty big dude at one time. Um, but time. wait a minute, but you know, I squatted a lot less than you guys and certainly Kirk and all these other guys. And, you know, um, if I would have had the proper coaching right from the start, I've got three compressed discs now in my L five and, yeah. you know, did you, did you coach yourself basically? Yeah, basically. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit younger than you, Jim. So, I mean, we didn't have the internet or anything like right. that. So we grew up on looking at the magazines and, and, right. and stuff like that. But uh, I never had any, 
coaching that was, uh, I never had access to coaching when I lived in Maryland is when I started and I lived out on a farm and did all that. I didn't have any access to coach. I didn't play football, uh, that early. So, okay. Right on. So what, where are we going here? Let me ask you about, uh, here's another question somebody asked is about shoes, footwear. Do you guys, now I, I remember what you guys have said in the past and uh, I wear the Chuck Taylors too. And I like that minimalism yeah. type feel, but is that what you guys recommend? What do you say to people that want to use like a heel, you know, like a work boot or something like that? Yeah. Marty, I'm going to take this. To I've, I've won. I've, I've loved squatting in a Olympic weightlifting shoe with a thick heel and i've also competed in wrestling shoes yes. i've gone both directions yeah uh i don't i, I think i think ultimately i kind of like a heel yeah. but i you can almost use them as two different variations right yeah like oh okay we're going to squat for this cycle with the heel and oh now we're going to squat with flat foot because they are different yeah that little, that little, whatever, whatever a heel is, what is that? Inch, maybe I don't know, three quarters, whatever that that height is. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, it changes your, like Doug Furness always. Uh, he was a very upright, wide stanced, upright squatter, and Doug squatted in wrestling shoes. He just he had no problem, uh, and all your power is on your heels. Right. There's no midfoot or anything with if if, if you're flat footed, it's man, those those are heel pushing guys. Right. So, so, so the I heel think would, both, yeah. The heel would kind of not throw you forward, but I mean it would it would angle you forward just a tiny little bit, right? Don't you it's think? easier to go down with the heel, right? To get the depth. What I found is I and I competed in a meet or two with the Olympic lifting shoes, those Adidas ones with the wooden heels, those are yeah, awesome. yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I like, just felt I like, like I just felt like it was throwing me forward too much. And uh, then I switched to, you know, like Chuck Taylor's or Vans or whatever, you know, it's the flattest thing I could get. The worst thing people can squat in is those running shoes with the squishy heels. I make everybody take their shoes off if they come in with that. Yeah. You know? But it's yeah. individual, man. And, and, it's, and it's actually just like sort of preference with that. If you feel real comfortable in those, I'm like, go ahead and let's try it. Now, if they can't figure it out, then we'll switch the shoes. Buddy of mine took third at the English Championships wearing swim fins. What? Who's that, Tony Fitton? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, it's isn't it? Hey, that's very, yeah. min that's very minimalist. Did not tell you guys this story. Real quick. So Tony went to the uh, National Championships in, in England, Britain, and uh, took uh, and it was a 242 or a good one. And uh, they, the first year they, they stopped him because his shoe, I don't know, he had some sort of a shoe where the heel came out wider than the foot. So they said, oh, that's illegal. That's not, that's not proper uh, sport footwear. It has to be proper sport footwear. Mm. And uh, he got so mad about it that the next year when he competed, he competed in swim fins. <laughs> and he took and he took third and then they banned him did they come back with language the next year that says they kind of expanded what, the 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 yeah which on the on footwear yeah what their language was is tony fitton is banned no no swim fins from here on out <laughs> um you know i look for a picture i i go you know what it's marty's told this story before i'm going on google and look for that image if i can find it i'll just die but i can't find it yeah, that would have been, oh my God, this, that would have been in the 60s. 
I was yeah. a little, I was a little, or I man, I guess no, Tony, probably Tony was a little young, older than me. I'd say the 70s. Uh, well, so. what I don't like about the swim fins is it doesn't have ankle support. <laughs> what, what about ankle support? Do you need ankle support? I never think about it. Yeah, I mean, I like my shoes tight and all that, but I think it has, you know, you talked about Doug Furness. Uh, obviously, his ankles are super flexible. Like, you know, when, when kids have ankle issues or they, they can't get their depth a lot of time, or you see their heels coming up, you put a little board underneath their heels while you're working on that flexibility yeah. and that'll help and a lot of times that'll help the olympic weightlifting shoes will help that also you know so what about a real wide squatter you would think there's more there's more pressure on the ankles right and that's where you might need a little bit more no 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 look we're getting off in this ankle thing what else you got let's get into some meat well because a lot of people have ankle problems so no 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 that's minor minor well we get listen we got to ask the question i know there's people out there wondering about that so I've never, I have no, it, it means nothing. In fact, because of the lifting that we do, it strengthens your ankles. We're always, the way that, the way that we lift is, is this is the ankle strengthening. This is where people come who have bad ankles, okay? We, yeah. help, we help them because of the way that we lift. I have, in fact, next week I have a, a crew of uh, uh, physical therapists. They come in to visit with me to learn our strength techniques because our strength techniques help their patient. Now we're using the cross cord instead of a barbell. We're using kettlebells, but still we're using the same techniques we're sharing with these high level Manhattan physical therapists that they're using to help their patients get stronger. And these could be people with ankle issues or knee issues or, or you know, issues. But no, they come to us to straighten that stuff out. We don't, we don't give it. We don't create it. Yeah. What about, here's another question from somebody. What about the chest falling forward? So what's the best way to prevent the chest from falling forward during squats? You know, you got to get a more upright torso. So what's the, the best way to do that? I, I like just cues, rib cage up, rib cage up. And a lot of times that happens when they're not ready for the weight. You know, the, the big thing about the way we teach this techniques is you have to dominate the weight. You never think, oh, my God, how does this weight feel? No matter how heavy it is, you think, I got this, no problem. So we teach that real aggressive takeoff, you know, that rack. When you take it off the rack, you're real aggressive with your shoulder shrugged a little bit. It's not digging in your back, you know. Um, and then if people go too heavy too fast, then they have a tendency to do that, and they do like a good morning almost. Oh, because they're because they're all geared up. They've got on knee wraps, a belt, you know, and and this allows you to handle. And they're also they're squatting high, so a guy can be squatting way more than he should be. And what it does is it crushes down your. your it's so heavy on you that you can't get a breath. Yeah. Right. It crushes your you down from the top. And you, you're not strong enough to, you have to be able, if, if you can't lift and spread your shoulders in order for your lungs to breathe, you're out of your league. You shouldn't be handling that weight. And that's what happens. It's just so heavy for them that they literally can't inhale. 
and it crushes you. You can't get enough air, right? And then you got to step back and you got to set up. Now we got to, and you're running out of air. And, and the way you look at a Kowalski or a Cassidy or, or, or a, a, a Jim Steele, and w once we take that weight out, the first thing we do is we take a huge, huge breath. We're sucking all the air out of the room. And what does that do? Well, let me tell you, you don't have a fallen chest anymore, buddy. Filled and you keep that and you keep that tension and you keep that. I remember one time Mark Dimitar, world IPF world champion, told me, he said, uh, he said, you need more upper back strength for your squat. I said, oh, okay, thank you. And he was right. The weight was letting, it, the weight was cutting me in half. Yeah. Right. Mm. Now, but I was geared, see, so I'm handling a weight that I'm really not capable of handling. So this was an issue. So again, not to get too far, but I think also uh, um, uh, uh, visual, we were taught to take our eyes and drill into a spot as if we were trying to set it on fire with right. x-ray with, with vision. Burn it, burn it. Right, whether it was, and Cassidy liked to triangulate. Uh, Hugh, he, he, most people look straight ahead JP, where do you look when you squat? Where's your visual point? You know, I look straight ahead, but I know okay. uh, Hugh has some good pictures showing where he's looking down. Well, his, the, re, the rationale behind that was that he, like everyone else, would look straight ahead and drill. We had a, uh, his squat rack was set up against a concrete wall. So you'd step back and, and you'd have, you'd see like little X marks with chalk on the wall. And those were different visual points that he was yeah. he was creating to try and he and what happened he went to competition and when you go to a competition you don't have a concrete wall yeah. you got a you got a bunch of people and a bunch of people sitting in the audience and walking around like a bunch of squiggly worms and it was throwing his balance off so mm -hmm. he said i don't want to look straight ahead so he figured this thing we created a triangle and i think his focus point was i don't know 10 feet ahead or something and he would just drill his eyes on that point so he wouldn't have to look straight ahead i know a lot of guys that uh jim do you know them they look up and they'll pick up pick a point high on the ceiling and that's another way to stay upright right mm -hmm. you, you you're you're because you've got to have throw your head back to see it right so you're squatting in your city you know and you're looking up, up, up. but but the focus is important and it, and it should not wobble no, burn a hole in it. Whatever your whatever your spot is, burn a hole in it. You know, I, I look straight ahead. My chin is slightly below neutral. I want my cervical spine and my lumbar spine in line. You know, I think that you're a little more powerful like that. But mm -hmm. if I'm in a meet, the big, you know what the Marty? Didn't you? Have to, well, I don't know if you ever squatted mirror because you squatted Cassidy's, but <clears throat> I always squatted in high school and college where you always had a mirror. The first meet I did, I was like, what the heck? There's no mirror. So after that, I made myself walk without a mirror, you know, and you're looking at, you know, and then when you, when you're doing it and you're in competition, you sort of get fuzzy. You're not really looking. It's like, you know, when you give a speech, I don't really focus on like one person. I sort of see everybody at once and it you know, narrows my vision. Yeah, living that was, life, buddy, you're, like, nobody told me that one. Nobody told me that so, one. So wait, Jim, where, so in a meet, where did you look straight still? 
I would still do that, but I learned to sort of unfocus. Just phase it out, yeah. The audience, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and just, But the first time, I was like, wait a minute. Well, if I had been your coach, we would have taken a mirror, and I would have had one of my guys take it out. And when you squatted, we'd hold that damn mirror up in front of him. <laughs> At the meet? Yeah. <laughs> and just walk out. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. He needs this. Yeah. Don't, look, or, or don't mind us. We just sit right. We just we just <laughs> kneel right next to the head referee with the mirror, right? So you, you can you can look at. Now, how old were, were you? What forty two when you were doing this? How old was this when you were using the mirror? When I did with the mirror? Oh no! First time I was I was in my early thirties when I first first competed with powerlifting. Yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, you'd, you'd always have a mirror, you know. You're you're in the high no, school. no. We never had a mirror. I I got I got a no. Yeah, no, 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 no. Well, you know, in high school, everybody wants to do curls and stuff. They got to have a mirror. So, but anyway, yeah, that was a big adjustment. That was a big adjustment. But I just learned to sort of unfocus everything. You know, talk a little bit more about breathing. You just kind of touched on it a little bit, Marty. So I know, uh, like, when you guys are squatting, doing a set of, of, of fives or whatever, between each between each rep, you will use one breath. Is that Correct. right? Yep. yep. And I'll tell you what, that is hard by the time you're going for your third, fourth, fifth, because you're, you're starting to gas a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But, but once you met, and, and again, it's all sequential, just as we – we have uh, five sequential variations in the squat, the bench press, the deadlift, the overhead press. Um, you know, when we talk, you know, back to your question is that you've got to, um, you've got to put this thing sequentially, right? Yeah. J- Jimmy, how do you guys, what's your cues? What's your verbal cues? As far as, as far as the starting at the top of the squat yeah yeah yeah. for your breathing what what do you i oh, mean, man. I mean when I'm you're like, teaching when you're yeah, teaching I, the new guys yeah i mean we're taking the biggest breath you can can and we always start without a belt but i'm saying uh, this is really a natural belt for you when you take when you, i always you know that picture or that film of that guy taking that cannonball in his stomach <laughs> yeah yeah the, the okay, well guy. when you get the somebody in guy. there who never <laughs> who never squatted or, or understands what you're talking about Say I always use that example. So suck your suck your abs in and try to take a cannonball. You can't, can you? <laughs> but you make your belly as big as possible with that That's good. air and spread it out. And then even now when they put the belt on it, when you get to that point, now you're spreading that air all across that belt also. But I always say, okay, we're gonna put on our false belt, take that air in. So it's a huge breath when you take it off. <laughs> And it should you you should have to lift your shoulders when you breathe. If you don't lift your shoulders, you're not really breathing. Yeah, I always say, I didn't hear you breathe. Yes, I exactly. Take a huge breath. Exactly. I want everybody in the room exactly. to hear you breathe. Exactly. The, the, you want to hear the verbal. I'm going to turn around and I want to hear you sucking the air. You, you know? I, had a, I had a lacrosse coach one time. We were maxing, and the kids would get in the bottom of the squat, and he would say, breathe. And they would collapse. Yeah, of course. And I kicked him out, and then <laughs> I gathered everybody yeah. around, and I said, look, guys. Okay, thank you, Would you, you know, picture a beach ball picture, and taking all that pressure out of there and, and you would just collapse, right? Yeah, coach, yeah. hold your breath the whole rep. Now you got people that were, I mean, seriously, who are a little worried about that when they come out of the bottom. So then I say, okay, you know how martial artists breathe? When you get past the sticking point, let it out slowly through your teeth. Hard to do, yeah. right? They're really keeping that. I, I use a little ex- exhalation as I'm, as I'm completing the rep. That, when you're you know, past the sticking point. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, you have to be well right. pissed. 
the sticking point. In fact, I kind of use a little bit of the exhalation. So I try to time it so when I hit the lockout, I'm ready to start the inhalation and it's going to be, and uh, Hugh used to tell us, inhale as if you're trying to suck all the air out of the room. Yeah. Love that, right? And, and also you have to hear it. You have to hear it. Like, I mean, you have to uh, audio hear the person breathing and, and lift your shoulders. You know, you, you literally lift your shoulders so that your lungs have room to expand maximally. We, what a we, different, I mean, yeah. you know, and, and you never really let that initial breath. Now when you're setting up, you're still holding it, JP. You let it out a little and then take another one before you go down, you know. So when you take it off the rack, take a huge breath. Yes, yes, And then yes. if you relaxed right then and let all that air out, it would crush you. So you just let a little out and then take it again. Take a big one again before you go down. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. After you get set up, then it's then it's time. Then you got you got to pull all the air out of the room, and you have to hold it for three quarters of the lift. You only start exhaling the top quarter of the lift, and again, and Kirk would say, "No, you don't exhale until the top." I like to gradually exhale, so when I hit the top, I'm ready to inhale that next huge breath. Let me say something about on the breath. What on the breath means is that you only get one breath per squat rep. Now, you see people huffing breaths. That's great, but you don't want to make a habit of that. You want your, your fundamental breathing um, philosophy, technique, right, to be that you allow yourself one breath. Now, when you get to the point where you get, I don't know, you get to rep three or you get to rep five and you consciously say, now I'm going to take two to three breaths to extend the set. Yeah. Right. But that's a conscious it's thing. Taking one breath. You, you it's a great intensity technique to take one breath. And you don't want to get in the habit of taking three breaths on each rep on rep one. No. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like in a, a bodybuilding situation or just a high rep situation, I mean, where you're going above fives, the, the one rep, I mean, the one uh, breath isn't going to work. You're going to be too gassed out. So, yeah, you definitely have to take a, a few more between your between each Maybe. rep. I, I don't like to see people started on rep three. I mean, you know what I mean? No. All of a sudden they're taking and, – and, they, and also I think that multiple rep breathing is an invitation for shallow breathing. I'm, I'm sorry, I said multiple, I meant multiple breath breathing between reps. Yeah. I think that's an invitation for shallow breathing. Because you can't get a big enough breath well, when you're doing <laughs> They're doing that, they're mouth breathing. <laughs> you know, a little, and, and it, no, man, it's. <sighs> I'm trying to think of, so I go, I blow out quick twice and take a huge breath. That's what I do between. <laughs> and, and you're lifting, <laughs> and you're lifting your shoulders when you take it. Oh, the bar raises. Yeah, the bar raises, the bar raises right? With the shallow breathers, the bar stays the same, and they're right. so anyway. That's a small point. But. You know, that's something in all in itself that you got to train for too. To be able to at the end of uh, on your fifth rep, to be able to take one one big breath between your your rep. I mean, you know, that's tough. That's yeah. so when, I, I, when I write people's programs, and I got that from Marty, I I'll say you only allowed one breath. Yeah, you got to do this set of yeah. five, and you only let one breath. And you know, you know, it won't be ninety-five percent or something, but it'll be a challenging way to add intensity, man. That's brutal. Also, the the whole breath thing it ties into again. You know, I've been doing some form of meditation for since what early seventies, 
And this track just ties in this whole, the, 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 the really uh, structured breathing that we do. Yeah. It ties tightly into like the Zazen posture where they're, you know, you're, you're sitting in a very specific position and you're breathing in a very specific way. You're putting your tongue up in the tip of your palate, you know, uh, some of the, some of the schools breathe through one nostril. They breathe so that you can't hear. There's no noise coming out of the nostril. Uh, so what I'm saying is that they, they're very, conscious of the the breath in relation to the physical posture and then when you get into tai chi you put meditation in motion combined with breath and root and all that kind of stuff and and the the, the heavy power lifting the, the hardcore the way we teach it it really is an extension of very much like zen meditation right with the use of the breath and the body and the posture but at the same time you're not to think you're not like a robot. You're not going, now I shall, you know, you, once the weight's on your back, it's a very emotional thing. It's not an intellectual thinking thing. Yeah. JP, have you tried the one breath squats? Well, I haven't squatted in a while, but, um, yeah. Um, and that's how I know it's, it's, what, what's hard. your main, what's your main leg exercise now? Yeah, you can do it on other ones. Yeah. Like if you were doing, yes, you say, yes, yes. What's your, what's your main leg exercise? I'm doing uh, one-legged squats with the cross core and oh, oh right, because you're at it, not in the gym. When you're in the gym, what's your favorite move? Well, man, I used to. Uh, well, I, I like uh, hack squats. I like leg press. You, you, know, you would do one breath. You do one breath in the hack squat and the leg right. press with that huge yeah. breath. You look at Dorian. Look at Dorian in, in Blood and Guts. That's that's what they're doing. They're repping, 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 and then at the end, now we huff the breast. Now we huff the breast. Now because you know he gets to like rep nine, on you know one breath, bang, bang, bang. Um, he's like pressing thirteen hundred pounds, and he gets to like rep nine on one breath, and then at that point he locks out, and then you start huffing the breath, take as many as you need, boom, you get another rep, lock it out, keep it locked out, take huff the breath, take as many as you need, get it, you know what I mean? And that way you stretch the set from nine to thirteen. Yeah, because once you feel that muscle start to burn, man, it really sucks the uh, the oxygen out of your body. Right. You know. What about um, what about mental barriers? We're kind of going into the little bit of that right now. But you know, uh, for a lot of people, it's intimidating to really put a heavy barbell on their back. Yeah, you got you, you have to accept the fact that nothing is comfortable in the weight room. And, and no. a lot of people, when they're first starting off, wow, man, that felt awful. You know, you're in a bottom yeah. of a squat, and you're actually you know using a little bit of weight. That's not comfortable, man. It feels like your head is going to explode. And I yeah. want them to have that feeling in the bottom. And you have to tell some people, listen, embrace the uncomfortableness. I think I wrote an article for you about that, JP. Embrace yeah. the uncomfortableness. Go to the most uncomfortable position, and that's your position that you need to be in. That's the bottom. You know, that's the bottom of that squat. People have to be told that. They think that that it's just like, you know, if they've been going into LA Fitness and just doing the elliptical and doing some Pilates. It's a whole different ball game, son. It's a whole different yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of people, though, are intimidated because, well, they're standing. They've got this bar on their back. What if they fall? What if something happens? Yeah. Well, I never first, thought first about that. It, it, it was like, no, whoa, 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 whoa. First off, if they're, tra if, they're tra if they're training with us, we're not putting a bar on their back for a long, long time. 
Right. They got they got to get through the no wave. They got to get through the goblet. They got to get through the front squat before we even think about putting a bar in their back. Why would we put a bar in the back of a beginner? There's so I mean, you can crush a person with the goblet squat. I mean, it takes a strong, strong man to handle an 80 pound kettlebell for reps in the goblet squat. Yeah. I mean, you got to be a 315 rep squatter raw uh, to handle an 80 ultra deep for you know eight reps yeah that's a good point though jp because that never occurred to me rob wagner we had like a squash team in and he said they're scared they can't see the weight and i'm like what do you mean he goes well in the deadlift you can see the weight it's right in front of you they see the weight the whole time Mm, when that bar's on the back some people are like where where's the weight what's going to happen to me you know it's it's a very i never thought of that he pointed that out to me well, they're, they're, they're all in balance. No one's saying, open your stance up and stand upright. They're all got these little tiny narrow stances and they're bending forward. And they got this weight behind their neck. Half of them have to throw their head up to keep the weight from rolling over their back and onto the floor. And, how many and, times and, no, and no one's watching. Yeah. No one's paying attention. How many times have you, have you heard somebody say, oh, no, squats kills my knees. Then you teach them how to squat and they go, I don't feel that in my knees at all. Exactly. You right. know, not the squat. It's the way you squat. But I think to uh, Marty's point, yes, uh, if, you, if you start with the body weight squat, like on a, yeah. you know, yeah. just holding on to a chair or a yeah. suspension trainer, go Basically, to the goblet. Yeah. I think then you're, you're not only you're building up your, your uh, form, but you're also building up your confidence so that your finally yeah. when you do get to the bar, yeah. Yeah. you've got a lot of that intimidation well, kind of clear also out. Also the front squat, remember? You go to the front squat. And, and you can uh, see the bar. Yeah, yeah, and anytime a front squat yeah. gets into trouble, you just put it on the floor. You can dump it. Right? Yeah. And then, the, but you got to get good at your front squats, right? You got to get, you got to be able to do the, you know, the gluteus maximus on the floor front squat, just like you were doing with your goblet squat. You have to replicate your goblet squat technique in the front squat. Then and only then, when you get your certification in front squatting, do you go to high bar back squat? See, and then what do they do, Jim? They, they start them off with low bar back squat. So they're, they're bending forward. Their stance is, they got a bowed spine the wrong direction, right? It's just horrible. It's, it's, it's a fit, fitness malpractice. True. Right. Are we supposed to also talk about the deadlift? Yeah, we're going to talk about the deadlift in a second. I've got so many questions on the squat. Yeah, no, we're getting to that. Um, well, this one applies to the deadlift and squat. So uh, somebody wrote in, what's an acceptable weekly weight increase? Like should on the squat, should you aim for five pounds? Should you aim for 10 pounds a week? You know, what, what is good for a beginner, intermediate? What do you think? For, for either lift. And well, would it depends, be about the same? Depends, no, because it depends on how big the person is, how small the person is, what their background is, what, I mean, how, what their techniques are like. I mean, obviously, if you're a 150-pound person, I mean, if you go up 10 pounds a week in the squat and the deadlift in a 12-week cycle, you're going up 120 pounds. And if you go up five pounds a week in the bench press over a 12-week cycle, you're moving up 60 pounds. How greedy do you want to be? You know? What are you going to go up? I, you know, I've have known guys who have tried to go up 40 pounds a week. The big guys. <laughs> the big, no, the big, gi- big giant guys. They go up for, oh, 40 pounds. Kirk, well, Kirk, Kirk and Ed were good examples. Both guys at their peak, they were both 1,000-pound squatters, and they would, they would go up 20 pounds a week. Well, that's 2%, right? 
So that would be like a 200 pound weight would be what would the 2% of that be like, you know, it'd be going up like, like four pounds a week or something, you know, I mean, it's, it's nothing. Right. Uh, so yeah, I would say, and you know, and a big guy, you know, if a guy's big and he's, you know, like benching 300, well, you know, I mean, it's, or, you know, squatting 450, it's a, you know, okay, maybe the, you increase the poundages a bit, but that's such a, a generalized question. I don't think you can give a specific answer. Well, now you guys are training a bunch of, uh, just regular guys on Sundays. So, uh, they've been in there training for a while. So, I mean, what do you see them doing? I mean, I'm, just, just I'm what I just, just what I place. just, what I just said, it, it is all, it depends on the size of the individual and their background and their strength levels. And it's just, you know, it's, it's five pounds a week, 10 pounds a week, 20 pounds okay. a week. I've never, I don't think I've ever. But I guess ever, as long as you're moving forward in some capacity, that's a win, right? Little baby steps. It doesn't yeah, necessarily beginner, matter how beginner, big the step is. Once yeah. beginners grease that correct groove. They, they make crazy gains. I mean, they'll make gains lifting milk cards. I mean, you know, you got to be sure. on it. And now it's more almost like, you know, neuromuscular efficiency more than anything else. Right. And they get the muscle growth too. And that's another, some more weight they can gain on the squat. But for, you know, for Kirk to go from, you know, 1,003 to 1,020, that's a bitch, man. But yeah. for a beginner, you know, they can, they can do that a little easier as far as making smaller, you know, making jumps on a weekly basis, you know. I guess yeah. it's just a totally individual thing and just whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever you can safely do. If it's two pounds, fine. If it's five pounds, fine. If you're adding, adding, adding a rep or two, you know, right? Yeah. There's just ways to increase the intensity. Yeah. I mean, the classic, the classic, whatever, back in the day was, you know, you, you what, do six reps. And when you could push the six to 10 reps, then you increase the weight and drop back to six, right? Yeah, right. There you go. So, yeah, so. Climbing the mountain. That's as old as John Grimmick, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's, that's, I'm always trying to do that. I mean, as, and we're all trying to do that, you know, as long as we've been, us three have been lifting. I mean, we're, we're still trying to do that. Climb the mountain, climb. It and, may well, not get as high, but you know. JP, that's another good point that you just inadvertently made there is that, is that we're in the deal for a lifetime. Right. What's your tattoo say, Jim? Lifer. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, that's the thing. If you're, if you're in the, strength and power game for life, then um, it uh, gives you a little more patience. Yeah. Right. And do, and do this based on yourself. Quit comparing yourself to everybody else because yeah. you have your own situation. So always be the best version of yourself yeah. that you can be. We can, always, we can always improve on what we were last week. Right. I love right. that. I love that. Yeah, because you got to have it when you get a certain age, you know, you're not going up in weight anymore. You're, you're just trying to kind of maintain. And that's where you use those other intensity, uh, intensity. Right. That's, why I, that's why I stopped doing the 400 thing last year. Yeah. So if Marty says, okay, I'm doing 358 now in four weeks, I'm doing it for 12, 15, whatever, you know. Yeah, and it right. just again, it's um, yeah, it's um, uh, patience and you know, long, long vision. You know, honestly, man, when you when you with the time you get to you get too old to get any stronger. Now you know stuff that you if you could use, you could get super strong. Oh, you know, I, you know what it gets gets me off. Uh, I like 
uh, I like beating a lot of the younger guys, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's always good in certain lifts. I pick my lifts. Uh, but also is that you're trying to, I compare myself to where I was as a teenager, right? So it's like, all right, this year at age 70, what are my lifts? And I look back and I go, hmm, so I was approximately as strong as I was at age 15, right? So now the, the game is, I'm not regressing any. But at age 15, I was winning regional championships as an Olympic weightlifter in my age division. You know what I mean? I wasn't some kid in the basement. I was already three years into the deal. Um, and and that, that gives me great. It's like, yeah, okay. Uh, it just, you, you fight the, you're fighting against de- degradation. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it gets me fired up. It, it, it really does. Um, every week I can improve on what I was last week. Uh, and even if I don't, which I don't all the time, you know, the attempt to creates enough, it creates the beneficial effect, right? right? Even if you fail in your attempt to better last week, that effort is still sufficient to you know, create the, the, the positive training effect that we're really looking for. Yeah, very good point. How about, uh, since we're kind of talking about this, long-term strength gains for an experienced lifter? You know, when when Kirk and these guys would do, and you, Marty, and you, Jim, um, you know, when you would do a 12-week cycle, getting ready for a meet or something, um, with each meet that you would do, each 12-week cycle that you would do, you would come up a little bit more than your last meet, than your last 12-week cycle. So is there a percentage like 2% stronger than the last cycle or something like that that you guys aim for? No. Yeah, I would. I had numbers in my head. So if I, if I did 650 and I said, you know, I want to do 700, I would say, okay, that's what I, that's my next, my next goal. I didn't okay. actually, I wouldn't say, okay, I'm going to set my max, you know, at, at 10% more this time. Or I was just like, yeah. how do I set up this cycle to get my next weight goal? Yeah. And it usually coincided with, gaining a lot of body weight in order to do it you know so with each 12-week cycle that, that you guys would do how much do you think you would go up on say the squat would you go would you be no 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 that's just a general are you talking about generalized did we have some sort of a like a statistical chart that we went by now no i'm not ta- i'm talking about what your actual numbers Who? were you mean you do you mean marty and jim or do you mean yeah, Marty? Yes, Marty oh, okay. and Jim. So when you would compete I was each in time, a, okay, but I was in a different boat because I went up and down in body weight. I won national yeah, that's right. titles in the 198 pound class, the 220 pound class, and the 242 pound class. In one five year period, I won national titles. I for two years in the 220, then down to 98, then up to 242, and at 220, I. Well, you know, I won all of the nationals in the world. Uh, I won at 220. Uh, I took. I didn't lift it internationally. I took. I didn't lift internationally at 98. And at 242, I took uh, bronze in Slovakia. So again, it, it, if you're just continually going up in body weight, which a lot of guys do, then yeah, I guess you can say. 
that, oh, each time I lift, well, you know, each time you lift, you're going to get bigger and stronger. I guess that's, that's the only generalization that you can make about each powerlifting cycle if you're continually pushing your body weight up. Right. Now, obviously, when you made the, the weight cuts, the body weight cuts, and came down a little bit, you would come pull back a little bit. Oh, strength, it was, obviously, right? It was hell. I had... Um, <laughs> I had one starvation meet where I weighed in at 219 and a three quarters on Friday. And when I lifted the next day at one o'clock, I weighed 232. That sounds like after a bodybuilding show. Exactly. It was just like that, Jim, because I completely depleted the carbs. Yeah. And I had, what, uh, 11 hours. So I just, I ate every salty food in sight. And it attracted water, so I would eat like a whole pizza every three hours, and it just I, I swelled up like a sponge. I squatted seven twenty two national record. Right? Would Would you say the majority of powerlifters would are comfortable staying in one weight class? Because no. to go back no. in weight class, they're getting no. weaker. They don't want to do that. That's the last no. thing a powerlifter wants to do is get weak, right? Well, so thank you, thank you for the compliment, JP. Well, that's just how it is. But I would think mentally, I would think most guys get to a certain weight class and just want to keep going. You, up I, I think you want to put these these big generalizations. You can't do that. These guys at the at a national international level, they are so different and so unique, and their backgrounds are so completely at odds that everybody has a totally different way of dealing with their life circumstance. It all depends what's going on in your life, man. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're, you know what I mean? That you can't make uh, the, these, these big generalizations. Like if you want to talk specifics, we can do that. All right, let's talk about Jimmy Steele then. There you go. Now, how many years, Jim, did you compete in a row? I mean, did you do it for five years straight in a row or what did you do? Yeah. Five years? Yeah, I would say around five. Okay. Um, and I can tell you, I my first meet, I did 700. And I said, I'm not staying at 700. And then I did 715. My next meet, then I did 755 in Philadelphia with Gillingham at his big win. And then uh, I was like, that's still some wussy weight. I got to get into eights. And I did 775. <laughs> and then I did 820. And that's... And, the what funny thing is, is when I did the 755, I was 312 pounds. When I did the, the 820, I was 268 pounds. I got a lot smarter with my nutrition. I just wasn't eating, you know, a box of hot cross buns every, <laughs> every morning. I've anyway. seen that 312 picture. You, that was a lot of man there. Dude, I'm telling you, 46-inch <laughs> uh, jeans, 46 around the waist. You, 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 but, were, you were one Denny's big bite away from a heart attack. I know. And you know what? At 268, man, I felt so much better. And you know, it's interesting. My squat went up because I got smarter with my programming and nutrition, but it was so much easier to get down to the bar on a deadlift without that huge ass belly too, you know? So, so, you, so on your body weight and your weight class, you kind of peaked like say maybe, was it like three years into it? You got up to 312? Yeah, but I was actually stronger like in my fifth year when I got smarter with all the other stuff but okay. i decided i was 240 when i did 600 three months later i was 283 or something like that because i was like i'm gonna eat i don't know if i read marty's article or cassidy or whatever i was like i'm eating my way up there. Yep, through sticking points yeah and yeah it was awful, <laughs> it was awful. 
Yeah. So it was the most, it was the greatest time of your life. Yeah, you but you were eating that. just whatever you want, right? So that couldn't have been too bad. Eight so, two, eight two <laughs> the day, so, but I you were down at the Golden <laughs> Corral, right? All right, hold on a minute. So uh, Mark Chalet told me one time that he saw Larry Pacifico at the Sizzler Steak. Every day, Larry Pacifico would go into the Sizzler Steakhouse and get three steak dinners for lunch. Wow. <laughs> uh, Larry was, at the time, uh, 2.30 235 with a 600 pound raw bench and he stands all of what five six <laughs> man, he must have been huge man well he had uh, heart attacks too late <laughs> well probably eating bread with the steak if he just would have ate the steak he'd been all right you know? yeah i think you're right. Just, <laughs> right yeah we have a lot of uh um, yeah i imagine you were probably crushing the groceries at 312 right oh my god yeah and it was <laughs> I was hobbling around, wobbling. But you know what? I mean, How strong it, do you feel when your belly hits your thighs and you're getting out of the bottom? I mean, you're I know. Strong, man. Yeah, but I mean, Jim, that's you're only like 5'4", right? Okay, no, five, come eight, on. 5'9", nine, nine there, JP. 5'9", okay, 5'9". Don't, don't be mean, JP. I'm no, I mean, I thought he he's a, he's. No one's you talked know, about your, JP. No one's brought up your physical maladies. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was uncomfortable, but man, you know, I just knew that was the quickest way to get strong. You know, George, I asked George Hector that same question when he was massive 360, and he was the, uh, he actually won the Worlds, the guy that beat him got busted for drugs. So George weighed 360, and he squatted 950 at the Potomac Open, like it was nothing, like a paper mache. And um, so I asked him, I said, man, I said, you look so, I mean, he was a big big giant guy but my height 510 i said how do you feel at 360 and he looked at me he goes uh terrible <laughs> he said i said what he said oh it's great twice a year i said what do you mean he says it's fantastic to, at the nationals and at the world he said but the rest of the time it sucks yeah. now at the time he was drinking uh three gallons of whole milk a day and oh, eat, he would eat an entire pack of oreo cookies after a workout oh he was looking for the anabolic response exactly yeah. you know it just exactly. becomes jim right after a while i mean it, you just become like why am i carrying all this weight around it's such a pain was, in the ass I, told that. I was i had that huge cooler as my eighth tuna fish sandwich <sighs> did you well, it's 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 artificial. I mean, George, it's artificial. It's like a sumo wrestler. You purposely push your body weight up there, and then come back to becoming a normal human. Cassidy won his worlds and came back to one ninety eight and won physique titles. Jim Steele weighed three whatever ten and it wins physique titles. I mean, you you know, but by getting gigantic like that, when you came back to your two sixty, your muscles were bigger. Mm -hmm. right because you'd stretched them out right you know i still bet though at 312 i mean the way our minds work some days you were saying oh this probably still isn't big enough <laughs> this probably still isn't strong enough right you just get you just get sick of it at some point you can't stand any more food or any you know what i mean and it's just you just say you know i, I can't that's it i'm done yeah Talk, let's talk about uh, deadlift variations because 
you know, I remember talking with Kirk and he said, well, he never did sumo. That was like forbidden and, you know, some, you know, and Cone, that's what he did was the sumo. Um, so some guys prefer it. Some guys don't. Some guys have different opinions on grip, like Brad Gillingham he uses a, a hook grip, good way to prevent, uh, you know, bicep tears and things uh, like that. So get kind of give an overview on, you know, this is about troubleshooting. So what do you guys see guys doing that uh, is totally is, wrong or they need to work on with, with this, this, this will take, this will take us forever. Well, I know just, just a, I can't, a I mean, we're overview. an hour 15 minutes into this thing, man. It's just like, <laughs> ask a specific question. It's time for my Marty scolding. Go I'm ahead. I'm just saying, it's just like, we've, we've really done well. Yeah. What we've covered. And now it's like, okay, now we need to rush through and the deadlift is so sacred. No, it's so sacred and it's so important that it deserves its own show. You know what I mean? I, I okay. can't. It's just almost sacrilegious to like. Okay, now here, here are the here are the top five pointers to have a terrific deadlift. Is that imitating you, Jeremy? No, I'm not. I don't know not at all. Is. No, I'm not at all. I'm just saying. I don't know whether to take offense or not. No, it's not. JP is not directed at you. Okay. It, this is a serious no. subject. And it no, just, I listen, I get it. We don't want to discount it. That's for sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, and, well, and again, to finish up on, on what we talked about, you know, with the squat, if now, if you ask us to, to recapitulate on what we've talked about so far, I would say the, the first thing that I would stress is technically, just let me leave you with one thought because there's so many words been talked over the last hour and 20 minutes. Take a look at your stance width in your squat. Just be okay with that and maybe find a, a door frame where you can sit down, sit down all the way and just be relaxed down there. Not so many guys as they try to, get even to parallel, they get so tense and they get so tense and they get so, and they have this residual tension. And I, I just tell them at that point, I'm with them, I say, now listen, I want you to exhale. Just relax, let just let it, let it go and let your body weight, just let your body weight push you to the floor. I swear to God, it'll be okay. And just do not regain the tension just 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 sit there and just breathe and take that tension out of your torso too and let's just let's just take a couple of breaths down and be okay with that and then they're going to need help they can't get out of that position it's so heavy their torso it's so heavy so okay look just climb up the climb up the the wall support a little bit it's okay and you start with three sets of five right with that and then graduate to the no weight, right? You get good at the being on the wall, but over time you need less and less wall to hang on onto. And eventually you get to the point where you can do your three times five with no weight in good form. It's like, okay, let's get a small kettlebell because most people find that the kettlebell actually makes it easier because of the counterweight. Just get really good at the kettlebell squat and then check back with us at that point because at that point you're ready for you know barbell front squat and that's when the whole world opens up but uh, jim correct me if i'm wrong i think 80 percent of the general public could get all the thigh workout they needed with 
some sort of, and it, they don't have to be done with a kettlebell. They can also be done with a dumbbell. I yeah, use a yeah, dumbbell. dumbbell is easier to hold, actually. Uh, for me, it is. I like just put a dumbbell sideways under your chin. It makes it, to, and I can get it in tighter. It's not this roundy thing. Oh, right? you're getting a great workout. Yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I like. And 80, it's like, oh, my, I feel like I've done 315 for five. Mm -hmm. JP, I would be very interested. Or how far down are you able to get in your cross score? Well, I'm only going to a 90. I'm only going okay. parallel because that, I got is that because, problems too. But is that because of pain? Does the pain stop yeah. you there? I have a torn meniscus in yeah, my right yeah. knee, yeah. And, it's, and you're not that long out of that, right? But I always just buried it. I used to make a joke. We're going to put chalk on the floor. Unless you yeah. come up with chalk on your butt, you're not doing it right, right? How so, far, and and you, do you have to cut your depth on your hack squat? Yeah, I do that at, at a 90 as well. Okay. But, um, you know, and what screwed my knee up was the leg extensions. It wasn't the squats, yeah. it was the heavy leg extensions. So be very careful if you, you do don't need those. those. You don't even need them. I don't, I don't think let them, let them go, man. Yeah. Well, I just always really liked them and I was more. Well, have that work. Have that, have, have that work out. Yeah. Well, no, you're exactly right. So just let those go and get really good at squatting. I like a hack squat if I find a good machine. Leg press, I don't know, man. It kind of puts me in a weird. Yeah, leg press screws up my back. And, you yeah. know, we always talk about full range of motion, and when your knees to your, come to your chest, it crushes your low back. Well, you I have like to backs, be. But, but like Marty was saying, it's got to be, the platform's got to be right where it's not crushing your knees. You know, I've had them where I've had to have my feet so far up high on the platform just for not to have his knees to come so far forward. Well, you got to have a nice uh, spacious platform because yeah. some of these manufacturers, they chintz out on the, the, the yeah. platform yeah. space and you can't get as wide or as, you know, as high as you need or whatever. So, uh, but on the leg press, I've always loved leg press, but you're you, exactly you, right, prob Jim. you probably have access to a really good one. Well, we do. Yeah. But I haven't, seen it in months because of oh, the yeah, COVID right, thing. Right, but, right, uh, right, right. but but Jim's exactly right. The thing that I used to do was I had to put the seat all the way back. And when you're coming down, as soon as your butt starts to want to come up, uh, yeah. that's when you go back up. You do not lift your butt because that's when you're going to really screw up your lower back. JP, I had two torn meniscus, which actually ended my lifting career at age 65. Right after that really good meet, I tore my meniscus. Uh, but what I found is that if, if you just kind of over time, just take your reps kind of down to that pain point, mm -hmm. you, you know, over time, you're going to find that like, it'll drop like, I don't know, a quarter inch or half inch at a time. You just kind of touch it and touch it and touch it and touch it, you know, for your, your reps and your set. Almost yeah. make the make the pain as your turnaround point, and you need to make the weight light. You can't get caught up. Oh, I need to use three plates. I need to, you know you can't do that. You have to start with like, you know. But I think what you'll find is that by doing it that way, that range of motion, like each time you work out, it's going to get just a tiny bit better and better and better yeah. and deeper because the weight kind of stretches you down a little bit. Like when you don't have any weight on you 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 come up as soon as you tell yourself but when you have weight on you you tell yourself to come up but it still goes down a <laughs> bit further right i think it's that extra little bit that extends the the 
you're frozen right now, right? You're kind of frozen at a certain angle. Mm-hmm. But just bing, 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 you know, lightly on that, I think that you'll find I have I have full and complete range of motion now. I mean, and I have had for for a long time. So I think that you're going to find you this going to get much better. Well, hopefully, because I think in certain situations you can't recover from that. So, um, let's, so who let's, told you that? Well, I mean, it's just you look at these uh, MRIs and things, and I mean, some people get them, they get folded and the knee will lock up, and there's all kinds of situations with these meniscus. So, you know, who um, Stu, you know who Stu McGill is? Yeah. Stu McGill is like the, I don't know, the world's leading spine guy. He's a friend of mine. And Stu once told me, he said, if you want an excuse to have surgery, have an MRI. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, I mean, says, so you, he, says, he says, I can find something wrong with anybody. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it depends on what the problem is, I guess. Yeah, but I, I'm just telling you as a guy who had two, two torn at the same time and was on a couch for six weeks rather than having surgically operated. Yeah. Yeah. Must have been really fun to be around when you were on that couch for six weeks. Oh, well, here we go, right at the very end. <laughs> hey, you just maybe we should have Stacy on to talk about that. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, can I ask one more question before we, before we end it here? Yeah. And this, is, this can be applied to uh, squats or deadlifts. So um, how do you guys feel about wraps and belts? And I mean, I used to, I used to always wrap up once I got to a certain weight on the leg press or on the squat, uh, because they would just make my knees feel better. It felt like they were being held in place and supported. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, for the amount of poundage that you wanted to use, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. And for the depth that you wanted to use, you were absolutely correct. You needed that extra stuff to make that amount of weight feel comfortable taken to that depth. Yes. Yeah, because I felt if I didn't have them on some of this heavier weight, my tendons were just going to explode. Oh, you would have, oh, it just would have crushed you like a bug. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd look at it two ways. I want, from the purest point of view, I want to be, walk, be able to walk in any gym and squat and deadlift without having to worry about having a belt and wraps and all that stuff. Um, but now I actually use knee sleeves to keep my knees really okay. warm. Yeah. And that's more of just a wear and tear thing over the years. If you're competing with somebody against wraps, obviously you have to train in the wrap. I would not, I don't like, I don't even, I, not even we'd have a belt rack for, you know, 120 football players. And I would never bring up the belt. Now, if they got up there and they were getting ready to do 85, 90%, hey coach, you might, yeah, sure. You want to yeah. work out, no problem. Yeah. But most of their training is done without it. And I know there's there's schools of thought where you're still going to get your abs and low back strong wearing a belt all the time. I, I to, to me, that doesn't make a lot of common sense. I think you want to get all your muscles strong without any supportive equipment before you start to add it. And if you're going to do it, it's just when you're going to conform, right? Or you need it for an injury. Yeah. I think I, I think I really liked it to just feel like I was had something to push against. Now you didn't have your name written on the back of it, did you? Yeah, but it, it said Gunter. <laughs> was it in sequence? No, every letter was in a different color, and it, and it lit up. Anytime I went to a gym, that I, anytime I went to a gym that I saw guys that had belts with their names on the backs, and they'd always have gloves on. I turn around and walk out. My gloves, man. Yeah. 
What I'll tell you what, those personalized belts are big business. And and striped pants. Oh, so, JP, but I didn't tell you. I was training a kid the other day. Guess what he had? Iron uh, Company belt. Oh. Iron Company belt? Is that right? All right. Hell yeah. All right. We love That's that. That's awesome. We, we, we saw a that ton kid. of belts. Yeah. 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 I liked, um, I'll tell you, the, I liked the, for a while, they had these kind of, I don't know, they were like form-fitting, right? The best belt I ever wore was Mark Chalet's, and Mark had it made by a guy named Dean Best, who was like a custom uh, leather guy down in North Carolina. He was a good lifter, too. He was like a, I don't know, 750 squatter at 220. Mm -hmm. He made this belt for Mark, and this thing was like, I don't know, like soft leather, right? And you'd put that thing on and that thing like hugged you. You know, like those, the, those power belts with those sharp edges and these things are stiff. As, yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty too, stiff. Yeah, they oh, get real man, thick. You pull one of those things on and those things cut you, right? I mean, they cut into you as you're going down. This thing that Chile had was like some four-inch, I don't know, it felt like a fur coat or something around you. I mean, it was great. So we, uh, I, I told Mark, if he ever passes away, please will that to me. <laughs> we sell some by Chic. They're kind of like that. They're Chic, contour. Yeah. And yeah, they're, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, they're yeah. mostly neoprene and they're form fitting and they have Velcro and uh, yeah. they're cut out for the hip bones and they yeah. fit real snug around there. When, but, I, when they first came out, I reviewed them for Muscle and Fitness Magazine. They used to be blue. Are they still all blue? Is that their? No, they they've got all different okay. colors now. You yeah, didn't even yeah. get them that look like flags. Wow. Yeah, they were. Uh, I thought they were onto something because they had that kind of kind of form fitting thing. I was like, okay, you know, this yeah. feels like you know how your knee sleeves, Jim, kind of feel like halfway between nothing and wraps. Yeah. I think the shit belt feels kind of like halfway between nothing and like a the power belt. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, it's very comfortable. But no, they're good guys out of Wisconsin. I've been dealing with them for selling their stuff for probably at yeah. least 15, yeah. 20 years. And I got into them because I used to use their uh, their straps, their wrist straps that oh. Velcro. Yep. Yep. And they had the built-in mm -hmm. yeah, built straps into them. And they were so... What, why I liked them was I was going so heavy on shrugs that the regular uh, canvas straps were just tearing my skin off. Yeah, right. So I thought, you know, how do I fix that? So they have these padded ones that are neoprene and that have the built-in strap that, and it took care of that. It was comfortable, but I could lift more weight and I wasn't tearing my skin off. So it was nice. <laughs> what kind of weight were you using? Oh, I was doing shrugs with... Uh, I was doing plate uh, six plates on each side, six hundred, six fifty. Sometimes that was about okay. as high as I went. I was doing partials with that kind of stuff, partial deadlifts, um, you know. But on the shrugs, just for a long time, and I had some leather ones, some suede leather straps too, that were that were uh, that were real thin. And man, they they just uh, like want to saw your wrists in half. Yeah, well, JP, I'm going to tell you, uh, I've told you this personally, but I'll tell you publicly, it, with your structure and, 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 you know, the way that you're built, your bone structure and all that, if I'd run into you when you were 15 years old, you'd be a 10-time retired world champion by now, okay? Now, we might have had to take you up to 400, <laughs> But but you would have been you would have been fearsome, <laughs> and you I also think, might and you also might be dead by now too. But 
I think but I could have done real well on uh, the deadlift and squat. Yes, the bench you, was yes. always more of a, a challenge for me. Oh, who cares? Who cares could, about the bench press? <laughs> I'm just telling you, with your with your bone structure, I mean, even now, how much you carry around? Uh, I'm 280 right now. Yeah, 280, and I mean, you you got to watch what you consume, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, 48, 280, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm just... Yeah. Well, uh, I'm just telling I, you, with, if I had run into you at a, at a certain age and, you know, you, you, with your structure, you could have been incredible. You were built to power lift. It's like some people never find the sport, right? They never find that thing that they're really good at. And I can tell you unequivocally that that was you. You missed your call, oh, brother. You missed it. It's... It's funny because for, for a few years, I lived like five miles from you. Ah, uh, no. Didn't know it. Ah, uh, no. That's was crazy. That commune, or was that? <laughs> Where? In the commune? No, not, not that time. No, in, okay. in Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. No, I was with uh, Anka Deckers then. <laughs> and who else? I'll tell you. Let me to tell you about Velcro belts. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we had some rules at Penn, certain things. That any of my assistants were allowed to kick me in the testicles as hard as they could. <laughs> if, I, if they saw me doing saying certain things, if I listened to rap music, <laughs> and one of them is if I ever put on a Velcro belt without warning, they were allowed to kick me in the testicles. So, or <laughs> not, I think the Velcro part of it, in a weight room, is a little—it's like wearing gloves, you know, it's a little soft. Well, and you and you had some assistants that if they that kicked you, it would have—it would have meant something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I. Well, I'm old school like you guys are too. You know, I I just used a leather belt. I've never used a, a chic belt. They're great belts, but you know, a lot of women get them. A lot of beginners get them. Uh, some people have a hard time with the stiff leather going around their waist. I don't know. Some people say, "Well, toughen up and well, when wuss I and all Dorian, that stuff." But I don't know. Advertised them, didn't he? Didn't Dorian advertise them? Oh yeah, she, uh, Velcro belt on, and when I first no, thought, no, you know who uh, who was pitching them, and I think probably still does is Jay Cutler. Well, I, I think in the don't they allow they allow belts and knee sleeves in the raw powerlifting in some some organization. Oh yeah, knee sleeves. Yes, the knee yeah, knee sleeves and yes. and belts. Yeah, I mean if at the U.S. the only one I recognize is the yes. USAPL. Yeah. And and they're they're the only American affiliate of the IPF. Hey, hey, you can get those knee sleeves super tight, man. Those ones that they all they, wear those SBDs, they feel like wraps. I, I hear that at the nationals, that they have guys that they pull them up with pliers. They get them so tight. They get them. Yeah, they get them so tight that they take a pair of pliers in each hand, clamp them in, pull them up. Now to me, you know that's. Uh, I think somebody's getting paid off for that. Uh, I don't mean, I, don't, yeah, I probably shouldn't say that, but I mean, it just seems to me that if you're banning equipment, that to me, that's supportive gear. I guess the same thing could be said about the belt. I don't know. I mean, the belt never really meant, if, if didn't mean that much to me. Um, Bob Myers joked one time, he said, oh yeah, you with the belt 750, without a belt 745, you know. <laughs> Right, because because yeah. if you if if you're an upright guy, now Kirk would put on a belt and jump up fifty pounds. Yeah, me too. Me too. Incredible. Yeah, that had to a lot be mental though, because I never felt any weight increase from. Well, the you belt. didn't squat, but you didn't squat like Kirk, did you? 
No, I didn't squat like so. Who knows? No, I'm saying. I mean, obviously, it worked for him. Obviously, I think when he squatted raw, he probably had a little bit of lean forward, right? Yeah. And then when he put the belt on, it was like he'd hit that lean forward and hit it. You know, it just. I think he physiologically. I think it did something. Yeah, psychologically too. I agree with you. I think psychologically and physiologically. I think psychologically, it makes you feel uh, like you're less vulnerable to injury. I don't think I don't think at the top level you even think about injury. No. In, injury never crossed my mind. I used to say I, I don't think it ever crossed, crossed Kirk's mind either. I wanted to think about exploding everything on my. I was just I used to yell rip it rip it like rip all my tendons I don't give a crap rip it up let's go. You're a savage, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I just it was just little everything's mental. Dude. Hard to keep up with such a savage such as yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all right listen can we be done yeah leave on a high note before marty starts screaming at me again no no didn't i not compliment you what about next time deadlift right yeah we could do deadlift, mate. yeah we can i wanted to do it but you're right it's kind of a lot to squeeze into this uh hour hour and a half so uh yeah let's hit deadlift next time and it really ties into the squat i mean actually we kind of have to recover the squat a little bit to lead into the deadlift yeah well, I think that's great. Okay. All right. So check out Marty's weekly column uh, at ironcompany.com. It's Raw with Marty Gallagher. And you can also pick up uh, one of his books, Purposeful Primitive and Strong Medicine. Uh, we've got that too. Hey, uh, by the way, someone was asking how they get a uh, autographed copy of Purposeful Primitive. Are you doing that? I guess I could. Um... I, I'll even actually do it instead of have Stacy do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, that, that would be preferred. Yeah. All right. So if somebody's got that request, I haven't uh, I haven't signed my own name in a check or a legal document. I don't think in thirty I know, years because you got people, right? You know, <laughs> Apparently, people I brought with stuff like that. <laughs> Donald Blake Perry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if, if anybody wants that, just email Marty, Marty yep. at ironcompany.com. Um, and then if you need equipment, if you're setting up a home gym, garage gym, you're opening your commercial gym back up again, or you're in the military and you need some for on base, hit us up for anything from strength to cardio to, to gym flooring. We've got it all. Yeah, um, uh, and Marty's buddy and yours now, JP, Justin, the, the, you know, the fighter pilots waiting on his bumpers. He, he emailed me yesterday. Can't wait till my bumpers get here from JP. Yeah, no, we appreciate that. We're, we're sending a lot of good people equipment right now. And it feels good to, uh, to take care of these people. And because we know how important it is to keep lifting and especially when the gyms aren't open. So, uh, and then finally, we've got new Jim steel articles. They can would always you, be. What'd you write on Jim? My last one was making progress coming off a layoff. And, and doing the Kaizen method, just a little bit at a time, mm-hmm. you know, being able to come back like that. Putting your, putting, your, putting your toe back in the pool. That's right. And the next yeah. one is uh, young lifters, teenage lifters. And, oh, that's a good one. And sort of relate some of my stuff when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and the mistakes mm-hmm. I made and all that. Good. Yeah. I'll enjoy reading that one. Yeah, man. Make sure you edit it first, would you, before oh. you send it over? But you know, JP, I've read a lot of literature, so... Everybody has a different style. Read Cormac McCarthy and you'd be like, he needs editing. <laughs> he really doesn't. 
<laughs> Steele is the, the Steel is the Faulkner of fitness. It's the genius oh. of Jim Steele. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now you'll have to. Now you'll have to actually read some Faulkner. Yeah. <laughs> the bear. All right, guys. Yes. Good one. I appreciate it. Great yeah, information. Guys, well, later. Yeah. And also, also, both of us are available for personal training. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, just, we have some slots open. A lot of people are, are they they are deprived of their you know their their personal trainer. So again, we're out there and available, and you, it's not it doesn't have to be expert level. We 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 work with regular people all the time, and uh, so like that, yeah. And and to reach these guys for something like that, just uh, email again Marty at ironcompany.com or Jim at ironcompany.com. Outstanding. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Talk to you next week. Bye.